From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. This week we're talking to Heinz, a four-piece indie rock band that hails from Madrid, Spain. We talk with them about the universal language of music, touring the world, and cultivating an international audience. It feels like they want us to be here. Music is all about connecting with the people, and we really like uh, get fed about what uh, fans give us, and I feel like they get fed too. Plus, we've got a bounty of new music to review, from Jay-Z and Beyonce to Parquet Courts. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, we are going to uh, talk with the co-founders of the Spanish rock band Heinz. But first, we're going to review some new music. Let's make love in the summertime, yeah. That is a little bit of summer, the opening track of Everything is Love by the Carters. Who are the Carters? Greg, I think everybody in the world knows the Carters, the most famous couple in the universe right now after Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, Jay-Z, and Beyonce. They're doing a full album. It follows Jay-Z's 444. It follows Beyonce's Lemonade, which really set the world on fire. They've been married since 2008. Like many couples, they've had their ups and downs. But boy, it's hard to think of the downs being too down when you're famous enough to close the Louvre Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that you can shoot your video there. Uh, I don't think they need any more introduction. We have a lot to say about the music. Let's hear a track. We'll come back with our opinions. This is Heard About Us by Beyonce and Jay-Z on Sound Opinion. Hey, no need to ask you heard about us. No need to ask you heard about us. Already know you know about us. No need to ask you heard about us. No need to ask you heard about us. Watch your mouth when you're around us. Pull up, how a Rick? Got no time, but we got for text. Ah, come around, stepping on next. My chica got Nika's upset. Why? Oh, why they skitchy so mad for? They don't want y'all say on their door. Louis Slug, I took your four door. Careful, you'll get what you ask for. We go. That is Heard About Us from Beyonce and Jay-Z, their new collaborative album, Everything is Love. Uh, Jim, this is sort of being framed as a uh, 
third part of a trilogy of records, uh, beginning with uh, Beyonce releasing her solo record Lemonade a couple of years ago, Jay-Z following up with 444 last year. Lemonade was a, was a groundbreaking record in many ways. Uh, it, it not only uh, embraced the Black Lives Matter movement and probably gave it its most potent soundtrack. It also presaged the whole Me Too thing that we're going through now because she was dealing with the fact that her husband was cheating on her and calling him out. And uh, that, that, that <laughs> shift from the personal to the political in, in one of the best ways I've seen in pop music in decades. Yeah, and here's this woman, uh, p- most powerful uh, female performer in pop music, uh, calling out for reciprocity. Jay-Z coming back with 444 chastened and more philosophical than ever. We never yeah. thought we'd have this guy sort of taking stock of, you know, maybe I screwed up here and I have other responsibilities besides being the richest yeah. rap uh, mogul on the planet. I'm also Not- a husband and a father. I apologize, often woman eyes, took for my child to be born, see through a woman's eyes, took for these natural twins to believe in miracles, took me too long for this song, I don't deserve you. Not that that was Jay-Z at his best. I do, I, far from it. But the, the point was that I think both artists had made art, uh, records that worked both as artistic statements. They were trying to do something new, uh, breaking ground, maybe less successfully in the case of Jay-Z, but also talking to each other. There was sort of this meta quality to it. Not only are we getting a piece of art, but it's art imitating life, which is imitating art. Yeah. And, and, and you've got this kind of dialogue going on. Uh, you know, this re- record is essentially saying everything is love and it's typecasting its message. <laughs> we're happy. We're rich. Yeah. We're richer than you are. Our children are going to be rich yes. and we're together again. Uh, and, and that's the way I read their their last stadium tour together. They're touring again this summer. Uh, their last stadium tour was a big PR letter about, you know, we're, we're going to get through this and we're really powerful and we're, we have all this material possessions and, and, and sort of bragging about it. Now, to a segment of their audience, that's a powerful message. It's about aspiration. It's about see what you can do see what you can overcome. You know, in the case of Jay-Z's, you know, growing up in the projects, uh, you know, drug dealer. Marcy uh, has Came out of that uh, situation and, and made himself into a multi-multi-millionaire, a successful businessman. Uh, ditto for, for Beyonce in, in rising uh, out of, you know, not exactly the most privileged circumstances, certainly a little bit better than what what, what, Beyonce, what Jay-Z was going through. But again, you know, these are role models. They, they carry incredible symbolic weight. Uh, especially in the African-American community. That said, there's only a couple moments on this record that I think work musically at all. I think uh, Beyonce's singing on Friends is the most affecting part of the record, where she allows some vulnerability in here, and where she sort of alludes to the fact that she was going through this tough time, and she's going through turmoil, and you find out who your friends really are. They pray, pray for me, they pray, pray for me, see better things for me, you want better days for me, unselfishly. But that seems like a leftover from Lemonade. Yeah, I agree. And 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 then Jay Z, turning things around, it actually you know saying to her, "We don't deserve true love." On the song Seven One Three, he says, "We don't deserve true love." He's talking about himself. Black Queen, you rescued us. You rescued us. To all the good girls that love hustlers, to the mothers that put up with us, to all the babies that suffer because us. We only know love because of you. America's a mob to us, lock us up, shoot us, shoot our self-esteem down. We don't deserve true love. Black Queen, you rescued us. Kind of owning up to the fact that the only reason I really have a career anymore 
that people are paying attention to me is because of you. Well, this and, is and true. That's, and that's true. This should have been billed as Beyonce featuring that other guy. <laughs> uh, you know, look, Lemonade was a breakthrough uh, album. It's one we had called for for a long time. We were fans of Beyonce. Uh, but but there had been a superficiality to much of her music. She got real on Lemonade. I do not think, and I'm sorry to say it, that Jay-Z has made, uh, uh, you know, any really great music since Blueprint or the Black Album. We're talking about early 2000s. I think he's been coasting on being a businessman for a long time, and he has not had a lot to say. 444 was interesting only in him dropping it for a moment and doing a mea culpa, but he didn't have much to say about that either. Here, he seems to dominate. 713 talking about, uh, you know, their friends in the Texas area code and, uh, you know, friends, that track. But then also there's Boss. Hearing Beyonce play the J game and bragging my great-great-grandchildren already rich, you know, it's like, oh, come on. You know, have you, there is so much to say at this moment. Beyonce said it so eloquently and powerfully and beautifully and joyfully on Lemonade. Yeah. You got to hear everything is love as a disappointment. And so this whole notion of the trilogy of 444 and Lemonade and everything is love, Lemonade's a masterpiece. And these other two, you know, with everything is love in particular is uh, is easily a trash it record. Yeah, it's a PR letter for the upcoming stadium tour. Buy a ticket. Yeah. We're together again. But yeah, it's it's a record that a year from now, I don't think it's going to matter. No. So I say trash it. You I say, say trash it too. Nobody's uh, going to want to listen to it's this sad. thing here. with a track called Total Football. It leads off their latest album called Wide Awake. Parquet Court's a quartet, originally out of Denton, Texas, now based in New York City. Uh, their cassette-only debut in 2011 uh, kind of tells you a little bit about their indie roots, but they really uh, became uh, noticed with Light Up Gold in 2012. That was a record that made a number of top ten lists at the end of that year, and they've had charting albums ever since. Wide Awake is the first one since Content Nausea in 2014, but they've been regulars on the festival circuit, uh, been playing club and theater shows uh, to sold-out audiences for a number of years. The key to the band has been the two songwriters and guitarists, A. Savage and Austin Brown, uh, trading songs back and forth on all of their albums. Uh, The new twist on Wide Awake is that Brian Danger Mouse Burton has been enlisted to produce, uh, producer to the stars. He has done a number of collaborations 
over the years. He's worked with uh, James Mercer of The Shins, and uh, he's worked with CeeLo in Gnarls Barkley. Uh, now he's going to try his hand with indie rock stars Parquet Courts. Let's play a track from Parquet Courts Wide Awake before we review it. It's called Freebird 2 from Parquet Courts on Sound Opinions. I've learned how not to miss the age of tenderness that I am so lucky to have seen once. And now that I've become older, I've learned how to brush over my history and how it's sequenced. When I think about you, I see a person who hasn't existed for a long time. Before you started using, before I started choosing to do the same thing for That is Freebird 2 by Parquet Courts from the new album Wide Awake. Uh, a powerful song, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, this is being positioned as uh, uh, by the band as their party record, right? They yeah. said, you know, you need a Louie Louie uh, sometimes to put on at a party. It's a party record, though, in the way that Loaded by the Velvet Underground mm. was a party record, okay? You know, it's the Velvet's record with the hits on it, right? Sweet Jane and Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. But you dig beneath the surface, and it's as dark and complicated and uh, thought-provoking as all the other Velvet's records. And that's what's happening with Wide Awake. That uh, that song that we just heard, uh, Austin Brown's Freebird 2, uh, is, you know, I mean, that's a jokey title, right? You right. know, the guy yelling out, Freebird! Right? Um, it's about his mother uh, dealing with addiction and homelessness mm-hmm. uh, at times. And, and later in the album, uh, as true New Yorkers now, after having uh, grown up in Texas, they, they talk about that New York thing of walking past the person sleeping on the ground at your feet. But you never, love, you never got it, did you? You know, they also kind of go over the top, as is their want. Collectivism and autonomy are not mutually <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they're Marxist Naomi Klein readings. Yeah. I love it, right? This is the perfect slacker rock band. Have they changed substantially since Light Up Gold in 2012? No. But they've got a formula, and they work it, and it's delightful every time, just like the Ramones. Uh, this record has made me very happy in a dark summer, so it's an enthusiastic buy-it for me. Well, Jim, I would have been uh, down on this record a lot more if they had stuck to the formula. What I like about it is that they're kind of breaking out of it uh, on this record, and at least from my ears. Um, they, you know, to me, the key to this band is they're, they've always had this kind of exterior, like they're just ramshackle guys, and they probably smoke a lot of pot. And, yeah. you know, they could have been in that perfect slacker band, you know, uh, back in the early 90s. But there's so much more going on with them. You see, you, you talk about the highfalutin words you're using, it, yeah. uh, that they're using, and, you know, sort of the, the socialist kind of rhetoric that, you know, gets into some of their songs. 
you know, on their debut cassette in 2011, they they they, they had this uh, manifesto: "Free your brain and conform never." You know, <laughs> you could already hear it there, even underneath this goofy exterior. You know, a song like "Total Football" sounds like a total goof, but it's this blue-collar political manifesto. <laughs> And a, a number of their songs sort of had that sort of sucker punch quality to them. Now, they're a pretty good punk rock band, and there's a bunch of that. But that's the formula. And there's, they do offer those songs again on this record. Almost had to start a fight, In and Out of Patience, you know, NYC Observation. But the key here t- for me is with Burton, they're breaking out of this funk groove, which I thought, what a terrible idea this could be. Well, Danger but Mouse, But they actually yeah. kind of make it work, and you know? And he gives them a little barrel house piano as well. Yeah, so they're, 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 they are, there is a danceable element to these songs like Violence and Wide Awake, the title track. And then... The other surprise to me is the tenderness. There is this sense of, you know, vulnerability about the record, which I was never expecting well, to hear old. from these guys. <laughs> I, I think I think Austin Brown is 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 in particular delivering those songs. Mm. A Savage is kind of the the punky you know manifesto guy, and and Austin Brown is kind of saying, "Can't we just live together, folks?" You know, kind yeah. of a a cool hippie-ish way. Um, you know, the the Back to Earth song just gets me every time. This kind of very gentle plea for tolerance and you know lord knows we need that now uh so it's a buy it record for me as well There we have Hell On, the title track from the seventh album by Nico Case. Uh, Greg, a longtime fan and friend of Sound Opinions, has been on our show many times. Uh, The wandering minstrel of the uh, (laughs) old country, modern, underground, uh, you know, born in Virginia, stunned time in Tucson and Chicago and the Pacific Northwest, where she met those guys and new pornographers, sometimes member of that band, uh, has had her most recent project, another collaboration, 
Case Lang Veers. Uh, now comes album number seven. Uh, it came out of some tragedy in her life. Uh, her home in Vermont burned down, and the local newspaper uh, wrote a story about it, which provided her address, which led a stalker mm. to her. Uh, not that Nico's ever mm. super enthusiastic. She mm. loves to talk about the dark underbelly of the mm. natural world. Uh, on Hell On, she appears on the cover with uh, a wig made of cigarettes about to be lit afire. Let's talk about the music after we play a track. This is Last Lion of Albion by Nico Case on Sound Opinions. Early in the morning, where they used to be asleep. There's a tiny business late, don't let the cattails fool you. Down in the bottom, when nothing is born, sleeps a silver dollar. Line of Albion from Nico Case. The new album is Hell On. That track was uh, co-produced by Bjorn Yitling of uh, Peter Bjorn and John, that Swedish pop group that had a big hit. They had that big, with the whistling, the whistling song a few years ago, right? <laughs> uh, but what's happening here is, you know, there's this pop veneer on the record. Uh, Yitling certainly contributes to that. It should be noted that uh, Nico Case not only sings on all her records, she is the writer of these songs, and she's also uh, an instrumentalist, a main instrumentalist on her record, and a producer of her records. Uh, this is her baby. You can bring on anybody, and it's still going to sound like a Nico Case record because uh, because of her uh, uh, massive role. In and how, she takes in her time it with it, too. She's a perfectionist. Absolutely does. Uh, the, the, there's a theme uh, to almost every record she does, and it's built around this idea that, as you said, Jim, she likes to tell these stories about the underbelly of nature. Uh, they're sort of framed as these fables and myths, and it's like, you know, let Aunt Nico, uh, you know, gather us around this, uh, the, the campfire and tell us these stories that are going to yeah. basically scare the crap out of us if, well, you, if whole, you listen to them real closely. Her whole career has been that opening of David Lynch's Blue Velvet, yeah. where you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper to the horrible underground. Yeah, and I, I think the whole idea is, you know, how mankind has misused nature and, and tries to tame it. Mm-hmm. And the futility of that, like it's going to bite you back if you try to do that. And she's also framing these uh, undervalued women throughout history. Uh, the last line of Albion being an example of that. The mother of Romulus and Remus, uh, <laughs> you know, is being, you know, extolled in that song. Yes. And, and there are a number of other songs in, in like Halls of Sarah in this record that are extolling 
these female historical figures who have been forgotten over time simply because they are female. So she's casting a wide net here, these kind of very ambitious songs with this, uh, with this pop veneer, uh, you know, with these powerful messages. And she's angry. There's an anger underneath these songs and a sense of, you know, the world needs to be set, set right. Uh, it's going to take a long time. And if, if we can't do it, we're going to all go down in flames. So yeah. it's a, a happy, cheery message from Nico Case, <laughs> uh, all done in the you know with with a pop twist. I mean, these yeah. are pop songs. Uh, it's another buy it record from uh, Nico Case. You know, Greg, I, I don't think Helen is uh, Nico at her best. There are moments that I love. Mark Lanigan, Screaming Trees, wonderful solo artist, uh, provides backing vocals uh, on a, on a kind of upside down, inside out duet. Curse of the I five corridor. Why should mystery give its life to me? Baby, I'm afraid, but it's not your fault. Maybe I should go home alone tonight. And one of her best lyrics ever, I think, is My Uncle's Navy, which is a really horrifying story Mm. about uh, a relative who used to mutilate animals. Maybe that's what sent Nico down this strange nature path. But, but it, it is overall a quieter, slower album, and that always reminds me that Nico hides behind like an ocean of reverb at times. I like when she gets fired up and breaks through a lot of that. There's not enough angry Nico for me on this album, but, but any Nico is good Nico. I think she's reached a point, uh, something I've always said about Robin Hitchcock, right? There are masterpiece Robin Hitchcock albums where there are like eight out of 11 great songs, and then there are merely very good ones where there are four or five out of 11 songs. This is merely a very good Nico Case album. I'd still say buy it for Hell On as you did. Of the Texaco, I release it into the custody of my heart. And we also want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about these records? Call and leave a message on our voicemail at 888-859-1800. After a short break, we're going to talk with the Spanish garage rock band Heinz. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim Uriganis, and that's a little bit of the song The Club by our guest this week, Spanish rock band Heinz. It was formed by two women, Carlotta Cosiales and Ana Parote, who are from Madrid, Spain. There are not a lot of international touring bands from Madrid or Spain, but they formed as a duo in 2011, back when uh, they called themselves Deers. They had no musical experience taught themselves how to sing and play guitar and write songs, uh, and eventually decided to put a couple of those songs out on the Internet, these demos of uh, songs called Bamboo and Trippy Gum in 2014. All of a sudden, they found themselves getting a lot of attention from around the world, saying, hey, these are pretty good. You got any more of these? You want to come and tour? Mm. Um, They were shocked by the response. Uh, Based on those demos uh, and the response to them, 
they started performing in their native country. They en- enlisted uh, two new members to flesh out the rhythm section, Ade Martin and Amber Grimbergen. Heinz has put out two albums, Greg, uh, Leave Me Alone in 2016 and I Don't Run this year, uh, produced by Gordon Raphael, who did the first two Strokes albums. Uh, you know, the sound is is raw and rough and underground, but also driven by some incredible uh, catchy pop hooks. We think Heinz is an up-and-coming band you need to hear. We are joined by the two key members and founders of the group, Carlotta Cosiales and Anna Perote. Welcome, Carlotta and Anna. Hola. Thank you very much. As as people probably just got, that is a uh, Spanish accent. Uh, yes. <laughs> you two are from Madrid. Yes, we um, are. I, I love the story of the two of you meeting up and first tentatively beginning to make music. How did you meet and what were you doing at first? Yeah, we met actually via the boyfriends we had at that moment. I started dating a guy that was the best friend of the boyfriend of Anna of, of that moment. They had like a band together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we met. It was kind of easy. We immediately uh, fit. Into the girlfriends other. at the gig. Yes. Classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a good classic. And I love this because it struck both of you at some point. Wait a minute. We can do that. Yes. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of funny because, I mean, like, we're not in contact with those guys anymore, but it's kind of funny that we talk about them almost in every, every interview. interview. Every, yeah, because yeah, it's a good story. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know it's got to burn their butts, right? Yeah, you know. that's really why we don't talk with them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the uh, Spanish garage rock scene was kind of exploding, and, and it's male-dominated, super testosterone-heavy. Yes. And it wasn't exactly welcoming to two young women at first. We never felt like uh, there was someone telling us we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, we actually, we weren't aware of the problem that hmm. actually was happening. But the fact that we never saw any women playing instruments right. and that our parents didn't, like, hey, this is your you know, like, it was just normal for us not to be in a band you know like there was like we didn't even think we could do it so that's why we didn't do it and actually when we were dating those two guys we were all the time in one of in Carlotastic's boyfriend house and he had this like basement where he had all the instruments in the world like they could rehearse (laughs) and everything kind of like kind of like like we imagine American bands like that's really weird in Spain to have like a proper house with a garage so we spent all the afternoons there and we never ever played uh, guitars or anything us And suddenly we had to like break up with them and go on a trip together to finally start playing. Yeah. But most most of it just because we found the freedom of just like being us two. We both had no idea about how to play anything. So it was like a total same level of freedom mm. and not, non-judgment. We're going to learn together. You know, yeah. and yeah. it was like... Ah, let's just do it, and if it sounds horrible, whatever, like how everyone starts sounding yeah, horrible. It was just like the typical image of the boys were doing something, and all the girls that we met at that moment, like all the girls of the gang that we could talk about, we were just like observers or something like that. We mm-hmm. were just, just like supporting it. Exactly, in instead of like doing stuff. So suddenly it was like, dude, we can do stuff too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
uh, it's inspiring because when you don't have role models around that show yeah. you that this can be done, you know, to go out there on your own has got to be tough. I mean, in America, they've they've had a tradition of a few decades where women in hmm. bands are kind of a more commonplace thing than ever. But you are probably where rock was in, in Madrid in, in the 60s when it was like, oh, totally. there's a woman on stage with a guitar. Yes. Uh, that was so strange to see that. Was it difficult for you to get in front of an audience in Spain and playing? Were, were people not, accepting of you right not, away? Not because, not because of being a woman. I think like we were just like so new in this game that everything felt like, like uh, such a big experience and such a big deal for us but just because we were new in the whole thing like mm. we didn't know anything about labels anything about booking agents or uh, publishers or like even like if we were writing songs in the right way if there is a right way you know what I mean mm -hmm. so it was just like I really trust in what we're doing and it was a very personal project and we were always trusting in each other's tastes so we kind of knew that people were going Como dirías lo de carne de cañón? Yeah. Like we were like the in the in the mm, Okay, when 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 you're like a lamb and you're surrounded <laughs> by wolves. So it's like okay, they're going to eat me first for sure. So we felt like all right, we're two girls, we're very young. Like we haven't mm. studied music for all our teenager years and all that stuff, so people is really going to eat us and they did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> actually dressed as boys for a while on stage yeah, yeah. because you were afraid that you wouldn't be accepted if you weren't I mean it was that and also the fact that all our role models were male you know and yeah. in our heads it was just like you know when you're starting cool you know thing. this and you're like a big groupie of a band is like you want to dress like they do talk like they talk sure. uh, hmm. write like they write you know so we basically wanted to be boys without actually knowing it yeah, the thing is, we we were really lucky to have like all this attention from America and from the UK, especially like in the really early mm. stage of the band. Yeah. So that was always like something that helped us to be like strong enough to go through all that Spanish criticism. So it mm -hmm. was like, okay, yeah, they don't don't understand because I feel like they don't know what kind of like punk is like mm. punk in the way in Spain when you say punk, you just think of like mohawks and and yeah. you know an anarchy. Yeah. That's what you think. You don't think about like actually freedom and yelling and sweating and all that mm -hmm. you know that you guys see in here. So they just didn't see how four girls could be loud. You know, for them it was like we're actually being annoying. You you're yelling, <laughs> you know, instead of you're Correct. making it yes. in a different way. Well, you, you had the single uh, Bamboo and Trippy Gum that came out and people responded to that on the internet. Um, sí. did that Was that a surprise that uh, there was any was response at all? It was a super surprise. You can't imagine. I mean, we prepared that release. Uh, mm -hmm. 
with a, a little video and stuff. Like, we have a date. We put a date, like, the 2nd of April. Yes. Like, everything very professional, <laughs> like, for, for, for us. And these are the um, first two songs you've written, essentially. Yes. 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 Yeah. We weren't even a four-piece yet. Mm-mm. Right. Just the two of you. Yeah. And we recorded them in, in a rehearsal place and, like, everything pretty lo-fi and cheap. We only expected our friends to listen to it. And I mean, that was good enough, you know? Exactly. Like, that yes. was already yeah. a high... And suddenly receiving on the first afternoon an email from the enemy, the New Musical Express, and mm-hmm. uh, from a promoter from London and from a, a very small label from Kansas City, actually. And all that stuff, it was just like, wait a second. First of all, is this a joke? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, this, is this real? And then we started immediately, like that same day during the night with our manager. And we told him like, uh, dude, we have these emails. And he went like, guys, this is huge. We're going to (laughs) London next month. So Heinz is a four-piece, both the both of you, plus Amber and Ade. And you said in interviews that you were looking specifically for other female musicians to join your band. Why was that? Because we felt so far away from all the male musicians mm. that we knew. Mm. Like, we were such a big fans. Like, we really are incredibly huge music lovers. Like, when we see someone mm. writing a song that we like, we could cry. And, we, yeah. you know, like, we really, really are passionate about it. So all our friends had bands that we loved, loved, loved. So we felt like if they became part of the band, they were going to give their opinions, of, of course, like everyone mm. in every band. And their opinions would, like, automatically be more important than ours. Than like, ours. we would, mm. because we would choose that. We would be like, okay, of course, if he, he, the singer of this band is saying that he wrote that song, I'm going to, I'm not right. Mm. You know, like, we weren't self-confident mm. enough to be able of like maybe my decision is you know with Carlota both of us we always felt like such in the same level of like Mm. just freedom and Mm -hmm. we didn't feel that we were in the same level of them and then also like when we started talking about it because we couldn't find any female we were like well maybe I don't know maybe we can make it but but we realized that in like the media especially in the Spanish media and stuff it would be like yeah, the guys make the music and the girls are smiling in the picture. Yeah. And mm. that was really annoying for us because this is this was such a private and we project, mm. you know, like we spent so much time thinking about everything that we were like, dude, that's not fair. Like even if yeah. we don't care about what people think, but still that's not fair. We mm. we worked hard to like start mm. this project. You made a record in uh, 2016, Leave Me Alone. Great title. <laughs> Was that a little message to all the critics and all the male uh, male rockers in the in the in Spain? Um, not not to I mean not to haters. It was more more like a team thing, like to our own while creating and writing and recording that record. We really felt that there was a moment that nobody understood each other or understood Heinz as well as we did. So. It was very, very important to create a safety area in between us four and like, all right, you think that this a chorus cannot be mm, a guitar solo. I think it can. All right, leave me alone. When you have a first album, everybody wants to make you the band they want you to be. Like everybody, like see Heinz and oh, you could do this and you can be like this and you should do this and you have to do this. So it was 
to encourage ourselves, like, leave me alone, we can do this in a row. Yeah. And I feel also like because of the way we are, like because of being young, because of being <coughs> women and because being so open, like we like talking to people, we make so many questions, we're like really curious about everything. Hmm. It's like, I feel like a lot of people take that wrong as a, oh, they need help instead of, oh, they just want to know more because why wouldn't Same. you, you know? Yeah, and mm -hmm. like we started getting all these opinions that we didn't want to and like people actually coming like as if we were asking for opinions yes. and like, did I even ask you? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm asking you about your plan. I'm not asking you about how you think we should do this or that. When we come back, we talk more with Heinz about why they chose to sing their songs in English and their perceptions of America. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. My partner is Jim DeRigatis. And this week we're talking with Carlotta Cosiales and Ana Perote of the Spanish indie rock band Heinz. Now, Heinz released their second album called I Don't Run earlier this year, and it features some really good guitar interplay between Carlotta and Ana. So I wanted to ask them how they fostered that interplay between the two of them on this album and on stage. When we start a song, it actually goes like who's having the best idea in the chorus and the other one. Like, we both love creating solos because guitar talking is universal, completely universal, and there's nobody that is not going to understand it. Mm. So it's a way of, of having our own language that everybody will understand. Because with English, we really, not struggle, but like we really make sure that we're saying exactly what we want to say and really accurate with, with what we feel in our Spanish brains. Mm -hmm. So... With the guitar, it's not like that. It's like we understand the guitar talking and we feel each other. So it's kind of like it's more difficult to explain with words, but it's more like a Intuitive fluid, or yeah, like, like yeah. A, yeah, like a genuine thing. Like, mm. okay, this solo is clearly saying this and it's communicating this. that I've learned or I'm trying to learn, what I also uh, do is pretend that I know them and then it will become like I know them. <laughs> like bending and, and doing the vibrato and all that stuff. Like I, I just pretend because he's practicing and practicing and practicing. Yeah, and the, friend, yeah, the friend that recorded us uh, the first two songs, uh, the demo, and then who was the producer of the first record, told us that uh, we had like better ideas than hands. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we always write way harder than what we can do, <laughs> but we still do it and we still record it. And even if we're failing, it's there and someday we'll get to play it good. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four, just one. No, didn't care about the Entering upon looking for anything good. What about the 
decision to sing in English? When we first have two chords and we started, we wrote Tripigam. That was the mm -hmm. first song we ever wrote. It just came out like naturally. And then we, I think it's because the, the music we listen to is mostly in, in English. Yeah, I and wonder so, about that tyranny yeah. of American and British hmm. uh, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're infected from, from birth. <laughs> exactly. You fall in love with this music and they're singing in English. Definitely. You want to be cool too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then you have the Clash singing, you know, Spanish bombs in Andalusia. They want to be Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. You can't always. But also I think, yeah, I think it's also more like, also ha has like a little part of auto protection, like to do lyrics and to not have our moms actually listening <laughs> and oh, understanding. Okay. And our boyfriends. Yeah. All right. All right. But you also, you also, I think you wanted to be heard, and you wanted to get to America, yes. and you wanted to get to England. See, sí, and with the very we, first single, NME is calling. With well, the we didn't first... even think about it. Like really, we, I, I really mean it. It hmm. wasn't like a goal at all. When you're from Spain, we seriously made. Spanish history for the music like yeah. no one ever toured as an international band because like there's band doing like for right. for the Spanish uh, locals that are living mm. whatever you know but no one ever dreamed about it you're from Spain and you stay in Spain it's like we stayed in we have a fishbowl and there's like a clear border in between <laughs> the international yeah. um, scene and then Spain mm -hmm. yeah. you know which was like for everyone it was okay like no one even See? complained because it was the history of the country like mm. You know, we so, have our yeah. shows and in Spanish South, and South America. Yeah, like exactly. If you you tour get big South enough, America, you go to South America, which yeah. is a, a big, you know, like a big con <clears throat> like market. So it was like cool, good enough. And like we actually thought oh, the other way around, like oh, if we sing in English, you know, like maybe no one's gonna because no one in Spain talks that well English. Like mm. there's a lot it's of. It's not that easy. It's still like the the most in the charts that uh, there's not that many English uh, hits. Uh, yeah. Not at all. It's okay to behave as you age. You still have your hair under village vexing. You're waiting for someone, someone that sends your same words whenever you chose that. The line was already to pass. You finally came to America, and many times, I mean, we were just talking that you've already come through Chicago twice in the year isn't half I know, over. I know. Um, so you, you get out there a lot. So what was <laughs> your impression? How did your impressions of America match up with what you thought it was going to be? I was saying yesterday to um, our, our tech right now, he's from, from Cincinnati, and we just passed through a, a, a bridge and suddenly somebody changed it or whatever and it said, it said KKK. And I like asked him about how does he see his country and I told him like I think we see a very distorted reality from what it's America itself because a person who's coming to a hind show is already first of all a freak to find us uh, and be a <laughs> fan uh, for lo-fi music made by women from Spain it's not in my reality and it's not and look that we meet a lot of people every single night they all are awesome <laughs> everybody's so nice and so respectful so is it is it because you found something here that you want to keep developing there's more potential here to, to be bigger band or is that what you want to be or or, or or what do you want to be what what is the what does the next couple of years look like for you? Yeah, I mean, just the fans. Like, people keep really asking for us to come. And, like, yeah. we have this tour. For example, we did a tour in Europe, and we had, like, two sold-out shows, maybe, mm. in the no, whole tour. Three. 
but Parece. here it was like as soon as we landed we were like oh New York sold out and then an, an hour after um, Toronto, Toronto sold, sold out, out. Chicago sold, sold out. out Chicago sold out like it's, it's just like it feels like they want us to be here you know and like yeah. music is like especially the shows we give is all about connecting with the people mm -hmm. and we really like uh, get fed about what uh, fans give us and I feel yeah. like they get fed too so so you want just, it and you'll keep coming exactly yeah. it just feels so good for them <laughs> and for yeah. us so like why not <laughs> Destination to agree. You're kind of pushing me to the other way. A revolution on a team that was unformed. I never thought I was a part of it. We got sidetracked about songwriting. I want to ask about a tune in particular. Linda is a really sophisticated song. Nice. So tell me how that song came together and what each of you brought to it. Actually, it's one of the songs that came more easily. Really? Like, okay. of the whole album, Linda, we were about to leave the rehearsal place, and suddenly we were like, we have 10 more minutes. Venga, let's go. Let's, let's, let's try one more time something. Mm -hmm. and, and it just, I mean, it just happened. Even, like, the, the melodies, it was pretty easy. And suddenly, like, it is not that, uh, I would say, it's the saddest song we have in, in the album, and probably in the two albums. And... That made it like very special. We really, really, really wanted to keep it natural and how it came out. So even with the words that we put for the demo, we didn't change them that much because in our in like it made sense for us. It just came out. <laughs> I've seen other interviews uh, that you've both done where you said uh, one of the goals for this record was the second record mm. was to be more honest, yes. to speak more from the heart, and 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 it's a song about rejection. Yes, and you're sharing that. Um, uh, you know what? What did you mean when you said more honest? We mean that in the first album we were kind of not lost, but we loved playing around metaphors all the time, mm -hmm. and in this one suddenly the first thing we thought is that. Actually, nobody reads the lyrics. So, because we made so many good metaphors and some <laughs> uh, cool stuff in the first album, no one ever not even yeah, not it. even one question about that. Not even like why garden is called garden if there's no garden word in the in the lyrics. Yeah. Like, not even the obvious things. So we thought, like, dude, let's talk exactly as we want to, and. And we did. <laughs> but people are now singing along. Yes. With you, which yes. has got to be a trip. Yes. It's crazy. On stage. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And I remember with Linda, because um, usually how we write, like Carlota and I were always standing up. And I feel like that's kind of like our really like symbolic thing. Like we're always like ready for it and like mm -hmm. trying to be really powerful and mm. empowering. You the, can't play the good rock and roll sitting down. Exactly. That's what yeah. we, th but as that this time we were uh, writing Linda, we were after already writing a song. Like it was just mm -hmm. the last 10 minutes. So we were tired and then, like we were sitting down and suddenly I think like it was so deeply sad and like intrusive because we weren't protecting ourselves, you know, mm. we weren't standing mm. up anymore. We were like actually mm. sitting down, like really, really tired. And that's how it came. Okay. We have been talking with Anna and Carlota from Heinz. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. 
Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we've got the best albums of the year so far, and we want to hear from you. Call our hotline at 888-859-1800 and tell us about your favorite record of 2018 so far. Sound Opinions was produced by Brendan Banasak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm calling from Longmont, Colorado, and I just caught the very end of um, the album Dissection Blue of Joni Mitchell. And I heard A Case of You, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. And I just wanted to call and say that that album changed my perspective on what a female vocal artist um, could do and what what they've done throughout history. And um, still one of my favorite albums to the day. Yeah, lets me sing along and use all my vocal ranges. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Adam. I'm calling from San Francisco. I'm a big fan. I uh, listen every week. And uh, two weeks ago, Anxious Anthems, um, just one that sprang to mind was uh, from the metal world, Megadeth, uh, Wake Up Dead. It, it tricks you with the title, but really it's just about a guy sneaking home late and worrying about the problems he's going to have with his girlfriend if he wakes her up and um, that anxiety around being in trouble and trying to avoid it. It's fantastic, and there are not a lot of metal songs that capture that subject. Hi, this is John uh, calling from Minneapolis. Uh, regarding Anthony Bourdain, the the Friday when we found out that Anthony was no longer with us, uh, that same night I was at the Paul Simon concert at XL Energy Center, thinking about Anthony, um, listening to you know Paul doing Homeward Bound, Paul doing the Boxer, but then the Sound of Silence, which is what Paul finished with, I was in tears, you know, just reflecting on Anthony Bourdain and just the the depth of the loss. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound. On a lighter note, um, I wonder if Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, he ever did a show in Minneapolis, because I don't think I've ever seen one. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I wish he could have come here and 
there's the, uh, the the Juicy Lucy controversy as to which which Twin Cities restaurant has the better Juicy Lucy, the you know hamburger with cheese in it. <laughs> I wonder if Fort ever came here and you know took on the challenge of determining who had the better one. Uh, that's that's my thoughts on Anthony Bourdain. Uh, thank you so much for playing that interview. It was it was great to hear that. I I hadn't heard it before. Thank you again. Hello, just wanted to comment on Anthony Bourdain. This is Dave from North Carolina. Uh, Anthony was easy to watch, easy to listen to. You felt like he was your buddy. And definitely felt a sense of loss when we left him that he, he was gone. Hi, this message is regarding Anthony Bourdain. In my opinion, he was the most humble, sexiest culinary diplomat I ever knew. I will definitely miss hearing his voice. I will definitely miss hearing his voice. My name is Jackie Mativier from Cary, North Carolina. Thank you. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.